from the, the book of Luke. Chapter 15. 11 through 32. I know what you're talking about, Brother Anthony. You think that, think that God has got one way and it's, it's the way it is and you think He should do it like we're going to do it. But we don't understand what holds tomorrow. And uh, I have one cousin I, I was passed away the last three years. In the last three years, and I remember him backsliding, and he uh, he was so cold to God. He was so cold to God. I had never seen him hug his chi- children. I'd never, not one time, ever heard him tell his wife that he loved her. And I remember trying to. I, I loved him. He was he was one of my favorite people, one of my favorite family members. And I'd shake his hand and try to hug him, and he, he, could, not, he could not show affection to, to me. He, I'd never, he's never told me he loved me. I'd tell him over the phone, I'd say, I love you, man. And not one time he ever tell me that. But I remember when I got a call that he had gotten cancer. When I visited him in the hospital, and he was on his deathbed, he wept like a baby. I'd never seen him cry. And he told me he loved me about 50 times. And I saw him speak in tongues on his deathbed. And I understood why, when I walked out of that room, why that he got sick. God didn't make him sick, but God allowed him to get to that place. To bring him back to him. Because the most important thing in the world to God is not your flesh. He said, I would rather you enter into heaven main." Then they show up whole with all everything together. He cares more about our soul. And a lot of times God allows events in our life, tragic events, people that die, because He understands their future. And He would rather take them at a point in their life when they're right with God. And in my opinion, my, my cousin, he got the greatest gift in the world. He knew that his end was his end. I talked to him the day before he went in, and that guy had repented. I'll tell you that. All right, enough of that. Luke fifteen eleven through 32. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. I want what's mine. You, you owe me this. Now, before I go any further, I, I want you to understand something. This is, this is the story of the prodigal son. This is a picture of God and his children. This is a picture of of God and His children. Okay? And I, I truly believe that the younger son was the picture of the, of the, of the, the backslider and the, the older son was the picture of the cold church sitting on the pew. That, the, the older son is a picture of a church that doesn't worship. It's a picture of a church that never gives any offering. It's a picture of the church that never witnesses. Now, I want you to understand that. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. 
Now, I'll tell you, the biggest problem with that prodigal son was that he was a Jew and he found himself feeding swine. Now, if you know anything about Jews that can't eat pork, and he found himself feeding something, and he's, he's feeding the hogs, and he found himself feeding something that could not give him life back. I would have killed one of those dudes and had a piece of bacon and a big nice ham on a smoker on a Webster grill honey smoked barbecue with hickory chips and all that but he he's he's feeding something he's feeding these pigs and he's starving to death the moral of the story is don't feed into something that cannot give you life back there's too many people that are feeding they're they're spending their life savings their life giving into things that will never ever give them life back I just felt the Holy Ghost right there. So he's feeding the swine, and he had, had fain have filled his belly with husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. He was eating the husk. He was eating hog slop. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and spare to spare and perish with hunger? And I will rise and go to my father, and I will say unto him. Now he's talking to himself. There's nothing, nobody around him but pigs. And he's talking to himself. And he came unto himself and he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. He's angry at himself because he left. And he's talking to himself. He's not talking to pigs. He's not talking to anybody else. He's talking to himself. And when he came, see, and I will rise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and he ran and fell on his neck, and he kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight I am no more worthy to be called thy son. The first thing he did is he repented. And then he said, I am not worthy to be called your son. He not only repented, but he had a spirit of humility. But the father said unto his son, Bring forth the best rope, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither a fatted cap, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder brother, his elder son, was on the, in the field, and he came and drew nigh to the house, and he heard the music and the dance. And he called one of the servants and asked, What is these things, what are these, what's this mean? And he said unto him, Thy brothers come home, and thy father has killed a fatted calf. They're having a party, they're barbecuing, and they're playing music. And he became angry, and he wouldn't go in. Therefore came his father out and, and entreated him. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed at any time. I haven't sinned. I didn't ask for anything. I, uh, you've never given me a kid uh, that I might uh, make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living... With harlots thou hast killed him 
a fatted calf, and said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that have is thine. One more, I'm sorry to make you stand for so long. Thank you. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this. Thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and was found. I want to preach to you just for a little bit on this thought. I want to preach to you there is still hope for the hopeless. There is still hope for the hopeless. You may be seated. Sorry to make you stand. The story is, is, is like the story of, of a lot of people that walk past us every day and go in and out. I, I, could, I could not count the people that have walked through these doors in the last 16, 17 years that I have been. If we could find, somehow find those people, we could not put those people inside this building. They, we would have to build a big, huge auditorium church. There, I mean, we, there's no way that there, we could even house those people. People who have strayed. People that once had a relationship with God but took the blessings and they walked away. People, they had meant no harm. A lot of them, uh, it starts out little. and A lot of them... Uh, they get angry at something, something you preach. They don't like you killing deer or whatever. And they, they're vegetarians or whatever. They don't like the way you preach. They don't like the way I preach. They don't like the way you lead service. They don't like how you rib everybody for turning 60. And so they leave for every... I mean, but most of the time, people... When they leave, they, they don't leave with the intentions on leaving for good. They, they don't leave here with the thought process in their mind thinking, I, I'm done with that place, I'm not going to. What they do is, once in a while, you see them sitting on the front pew, they, and then you see them sitting on the fifth pew, and then in the back. And before long, you don't see them on, on a Wednesday night. You don't see them at prayer meeting. You don't see them on Sunday morning. You might see them on Sunday night because that's the main service. But their intentions are to kind, kind of back off and, and, and leave for just a while. And what I'm trying to say is backsliding is not an overnight thing. It's, it's a process. It's, it takes time to truly backslide. It, it's a mind thing, and then it seeps into the heart. And the fact is that the prodigal son, when he left, it wasn't just an overnight thing that he up and got up one day and said, I'm sick of it, everything's been good from, uh, since now. But it was, a, it was a, a gradual thing that happened to him and in his heart. And he, he put a lot of thought into leaving. And the father even put a lot of thought into where he built his house. Because if you look at the scripture, it said that when the man left, when the son left, he had to travel afar. And the father made sure, good and well, that he built his house a long way from that pig slop place. So that man, if he was going to leave his father's house, he would have time to think about it. He could have come back any time. He still had resources. But anyway, he, he, he got sick and tired of, of having a, that life. You know what I'm talking about when you're 17, 18 years old and you have a roof over your head and a nice bed, warm covers and everything. You come in at night and, and all that and you just say, you know what, I'm sick and tired of being at home. I think I'm going to move out because uh, I'm sick and tired of dealing with problems. 
And then you find out, you, you leave and you get a place and you realize, how in the world did I get a place when I don't even have credit and I don't even have a job? I don't have money. I don't have my own car. We all, we've all been there. We all think we know it all. Come on. Don't be pointing at him. You did the same thing. We've all been there. Every single one. I'm sick and tired of, of living. Uh, but you know what? There's, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I love living at home, and I don't want to go back home uh, to mom and dad's house. But there's times. There's times that I wish I could go back. And there's times that I, I wish I could, I could smell mama's cooking. I I'm, I'm not looking forward to going home tomorrow for this funeral, but I, I sure am looking forward to mom cooking supper tomorrow night. And, and so, but we've all been there at one point in, in our spiritual walk with God. We've all contemplated and just walking away and giving up and just, I'm done with it. I'm tired of dealing with church problems. I'm, I'm tired of, of dealing with this and dealing with that. And, and, and so, we, we all get to the point in our life where at one point or another we just think, well, I just, I just want to leave, I just want to take what's mine and walk away. Until we hit rock bottom. And we wake up and we realized that we didn't have it that bad when we was at Father's house. Thank you, sir. And it wasn't really that bad at McCormick's Creek. Because at McCormick's Creek, there, the Holy Ghost was moving and people was baptized and it was a good church. And, and pe- but people, they, don't, they, 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 uh, they get out and the problem with that is, is that for a while they have the resources that the church or the Father gave them. And they think because they are living good that they still are living off of the blessings of the Father. But the problem with that is they don't think it through properly. The fact is they've gotten all the resources that they're ever going to get from the Father. And just because they're still living with, uh, with, and, and have the food that they need, and, or you understand what I'm talking about, the spiritual aspect of the things, doesn't mean that God is still blessing them. It was be, it, they're living off of past blessings. And when you see people that leave the apostolic faith, they still have the blessings of their Father. They're still living off of the Father's blessings, and that's why they're able to go out and still have revivals, revivals and, and do great and mighty works. But you can rest assured, that there will come a point in their life that they will spend the last of their father's inheritance. There will come a point in their life that when they walk out of here, even though they are carrying the blessings of of the church, even though they're carrying the blessings of the Father, that doesn't mean that God's got His hand on them and on their ministry just because they, they, they walked away from truth, they, they look like they're, uh, they're charismatic or whatever. It doesn't mean that God has His hand on them. It just means that they're living off of fa- Father's past inheritance. You understand what I'm saying? 
I've seen it a thousand times. I, the, I, I don't want to mention any names, but there's a guy that's got a book called God Chasers. You don't know who it is, look it up when you get... I'll tell you right now, you can see that man's uh, his writings. He got them notes from his dad. And he's selling millions of books and making millions of dollars. But he's living off of his father's blessings. And the fact is, the problem with... Uh, I'm going somewhere here. The problem with us reaching out to people like that is that I believe a lot of times we're spinning our wheels and we're not going to get anywhere because they think that because they still have the blessings, they don't have to come back. And we waste a lot of time on going after the backsliders, when if you read this story and study it, not one time did the father go out to that hog pen and look for his son. I've had people, people tell me, why aren't we out knocking the doors of our backsliders? Hey, I'm going to tell you something. When they run out of resources, they're going to come back to the father's house. When they're laying on their bed sick and they have nowhere to go, you can guarantee before they breathe their last breath, they're going to be calling on the Father's name. We waste a lot of time, I'm telling you, and I believe in praying for backsliders. I believe in reaching out to them. I believe in calling them. But I, I'm not going to lose sleep over somebody that says, you know what, I want my resources, I, I'm going to leave, I, and I, I want what's mine. You're not going to convince them. It's not until that they reach rock bottom that, that they're going to come back. You know what we ought to start doing instead of we, instead of praying for them? You need to pray that God will allow them to run out of resources. I'm just is, that, is this all right? That's all right, isn't it? Because we, we we really do waste a lot of time when we got people that are outside the doors that's that's never heard this gospel or never been taught this gospel, and and we're wasting our time. They're drug addicts and alcoholics and stuff, and we're trying to reach out to people that know truth. That is a is wrong, and I believe it's not of God. Now I'm not. Listen to me. I have family that's been backslid slid for a long time. They have walked away, and I will never stop praying for that person. Never. But I'm not going to waste my time because I understand that when they hit rock bottom, that is when they start making their way back. So what we really need to start doing is in our prayers is say, God, let them start running out of resources. Let them get into the hog pen. How many times have you seen... You see, man, I mean, I'm going to get in trouble here. How many times have you see mommy and daddy go bail their kid out of jail? They ask you to loan them the money to bail their kid out of jail. We start bailing them out of jail. They're going to keep getting in trouble. We keep giving them resources. They're going to keep getting in trouble. We keep giving them money. They're going to keep buying cigarettes. We keep giving them money. They're going to buy more beer. 
We need to let them live and fall on their own. And when they wake up in the bottom of a pit, eat with a bunch of pigs, they'll say, I don't want to stay here. I'm going to go back to the Father's house. Hmm. I didn't really mean to, to preach all that. They want to say, Father, they've got to get to the point where they come to the conclusion on their own. Listen, you read it. He says, he says, he comes to his senses. And he come to the point in his life that he began to talk to himself. Why am I here? Why have I why why did I take what's mine? I had it good at dad's house. I, I had a warm bed. I had food, I had a shelter over my head, and now I'm here stuck in a hog pen. And it was a time of reflection. The problem, and I, I, I can't seem to get past this part right here. I feel in the Spirit to say, the problem is, is we've got between them and what they need to be reflecting. And we've been fighting their battles when we need to let them fight their battles and confront their problems and understand that, hey, I messed up. I need to come back. I should have never left. They have to come to the conclusion. The only thing that that matters to me is that I had a relationship with my father and it, it ended. There was no more communication. Dad wasn't around to help him. There was no more protection. As long as I, he, he had to come to the understanding that once he was sleeping in a nice home, and now he is sleeping with a bunch of pigs. As long as I... I'd never feel, he didn't want to feel lonely again. He, he had a home, he had a family, he had a church, if you will. And he'd come to the point of his life, he was talking to himself. You ever talk to yourself? God talked to himself, didn't he? Let's make man in our own image. He even talked to himself. The problem with a lot of people is they ignore who they really are and what they've really become, and they ignore it. But it's not until we get to at the very bottom and we start getting really honest with ourselves. Because I'm going to tell you something, you can't get real honest with God until you get real honest with yourself. Some of us, don't, we don't like to look in the mirror and look where, where, what we become because we, we want to go around the situation, but we're never going to get any better until we address what we are and what we become and what our failures are that we need to get honest with ourselves before we can ever get honest with God. But the problem in churches, this is the problem with, with the other son. I'm getting ready to step on all our toes. Okay? How many people have walked out of here and you said, 
I'm done with them. I'm, si- I'm tired of them. They were troublemakers when they were here. I'm done with them. I don't want them back. I'm just, I'm just being honest. They never think... They never think of God's house anymore. They don't belong here. They're like the young man that just walked away and the, the sons on the back steps. And the son finds his way home or he comes to church. And what is the first thing a lot of Pentecostals, apostolics, so-called church do? They go, what's he doing here? What's she doing here? She's a drug addict. They want more money. And the problem is that we soon forget of where we used to be. And we get so consumed with the problems of other people and how much they become problems that we begin to justify who we are. So we puff up. And instead of being in the altar or partying with the one that came home, we stand on the back porch when there's a party going on in the house. And the father says, I want to have a, a coming home party. I want to put a ring on their finger. I want to have a party. I want to kill a fatted calf. I want to drink because the one that was dead that walked out of here so many years ago or months ago has come home and the so-called church is in the back somewhere pointing their finger at the sun. No. And you know what we say? We never left. So why do they have to come back here after my position? And we tend to think that because people have left the house of God, that they're no longer the sons and daughters of God. Oh my. When the fact is that when that man left his home, when that boy left his home, that dumb, ignorant, stupid feller left his home, he never ceased being the Son of God. And often we go, well, they left. They're not one of us anymore. Oh, my. But can I tell you the, the, the true story? That the man didn't even make it back home. That the father was willing to leave the comfort of his own home. And he met him halfway. And that boy never ceased being the son. Oh my. God is not some God up there that looks down on a bunch of backsliders and goes, you know what, I'm writing them off. He's not my son. She's not my daughter. Get away. Kick them away. Get them out. Blah. You know what He does? He meets them outside of the Father's house. And He looks them in the eye. 
And he says, you're still my child. You mean to tell me, Brother Hill, that those people would still go to heaven or home? Pipe and shadow. Oh, he met him halfway and he said, you'll always be my son. You going to heaven will, or you coming home is predicated on whether you go the rest of the way. But you will always be my son. And my, I, I guess my point is, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed tonight. My point is this. If God can give hope to a hopeless world, who are we to say, I can't extend hope to you or I can't extend forgiveness to you? He, Jesus can, but I can't. Jesus can forgive you, but I can't let you back in. And that was the problem with the son that was standing on the back porch. He made himself greater than the father. And the problem with that is that the father had all authority in that home. And the father was the giver of the resources of that home. And if it wasn't for his authority and his resources, that boy wouldn't have a back porch to stand on. And the the fact is, if we cease to forgive and find forgiveness in our heart, we're trying to trump the Father. And we will never trump the Father. He's the one that paid the price. He's the one that has the resources of forgiveness. He's the one that has the power to give and take. It's not us. So you want a a better church? Stop playing God. Stop standing in the way of the Father. And stop trying to tell the Father you can't forgive that one and you can't let Him back. Oh, I'm I'm losing my notes here. I'm getting off. I'm almost done. I I grew up in this apostolic thing. I'll be 38 years old in less than a month. Man. In December 5th, I'll be 38. 40. That's, that's two years older than Brother Davis. But I've been in this my whole life. And I'll tell you, I've seen something that... And it's, it's a tradition that churches... And, and I'm not trying to... I'm not, I'm not trying... I'd never trump you. I'm just telling you what I see. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about looking at the sun on the back porch and what I've seen. You got a, a girl, she, she goes out, not married, teenager. She goes and gets pregnant. She comes to God a couple years later. She's begging for forgiveness. The blood of Jesus dumps it on her. God forgives her. 
since you're my daughter, I don't care how long you've been gone. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you took. I don't care what you smoked. I don't care what you drank. I don't care who you slept with. I don't care what decisions you made in your life. You're my daughter. And when she gets to the house of God, we say, okay, sit back for ten months. Sit back for three years before you can ever do anything for God. And then she comes, and I know that, there, I, I understand the pastoral part of it. And people have, have got a chance, they need a chance to repent. But we see people walk into, into the choir and they got a little, their, their hair's cut a little bit. It doesn't mean they're cutting it right now. They might have cut it, at six, cut it six, seven months ago. But you know what? If God can forgive her and God can wash her or wash him, who are we to say? They don't belong in that... For a long time, we have hurt people. And we've tried to make them to live up to our standards when the fact is that there's skeletons in our closets and there's feelings that we got in our mind and in our heart and we're beating them up and because you can see their problem. Oh, it's professional Pentecostal. And I've seen it over and over and over. And I've got friends that won't step inside an apostolic church because preachers and, and then saints meet them at the back door and say, what do you got that on for? You ain't coming in here like that. Give God a chance to wash them. Give God a chance to... i got friends. I'll see them this weekend. That they're backslid. But not a one of them has ever been taught why not to go somewhere and why not to do something because dad and mom said, you're not going there because I said so, and that's it. And they never got it here. They had it here, but they never got it here. They never understood it. And they got it forced down their throat for so long, and then the parents never taught them to have a relationship with God and give them some kind of understanding about why we don't go here, why we don't put this on and do that. By the way, if you're a parent, you should teach your children why you don't go here and why you don't do this. And all of a sudden we play God and say, don't do this, don't do that, and that's because I said, because I'm the dad and I'm the authority here. We need to teach them. And I got friends that are backslidden now because when they got out of their house, they didn't understand. They didn't have a relationship with God. And I got friends that will never step inside an apostolic church unless it's a wedding or a funeral. And that is not the will of God for them to feel that way about the house of God. But they're, they're like that because saints have stood on the back porch and pointed their finger and said, he don't deserve to be here. She shouldn't be up. You understand what I'm saying? Man, where do I end from this? Forgiveness. I can show forgiveness. It's hard for me to show forgiveness for people that really doesn't show repentance. You understand that? Because, Brother Anthony, let's be honest. You can punch me right in the face. Probably right now I wouldn't hurt you. hit you. I'm too tired of doing that. But you could ask me for forgiveness, and I could say, yeah, I forgive you. 
But you could come back tomorrow and punch me right back in the face. I may forgive you again. Actually, the Bible says seven times seventy. That's a lot of punches. I think I probably wouldn't even have a nose anymore left. It would probably be just big, look like a thumb. But before long, you're not sorry. Okay? And that's a fact. So if there's no repentance, how can you be forgiven? And how can you forgive? Jesus can't forgive somebody that doesn't mean that they're sorry. That's not repentance. He can't forgive you. It's impossible. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people with attitudes that come up and say, I I need to be better. I want to change. There's a difference. And you can see it in people's attitudes and, and their demeanor, how sorry somebody is. And I usually can tell when somebody repents because there's tears. And you can see somebody that does it when they don't, you know, they're gripping the altar. And they're, they're, they're mad. And there's no forgiveness. I'm not talking about that tonight. I'm talking about people that come back and are truly sorry. We need to let God do His job. And of Jesus, hear me. If Jesus can pull a cross up Calvary's hill and look over through puffy eyes, through the blood, through the blood in his eyes and the, and the crown of thorns that was pushing through his skull and the, the pus and the infection and the, the dirt in his eyes and look over and see a man that he just raised his daughter from the dead three or four weeks earlier and look at him and go, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If he can do that then why in the world can't the church look at people and go, I forgive them. I know that they hurt me. I know that they they come against me. I know that they hurt my, my family. I know they hurt my children. If they come and ask for forgiveness, we are bound. We have to. I refuse to go to hell. For the lack of forgiveness. I want a healthy church. I I want a church that loves people. There's people that's going to go to churches in the surrounding area that they're not going to feel forgiven. How can I say this? I'll close with this. There is a big difference between forgiving somebody and accepting. I think a lot of times we don't forgive because we, we fear. We fear that we think that we are condoning what they've done. Just because you forgive somebody for what they've done doesn't mean you condone them. Case in point, I'm closing. The woman that was thrown at the feet of Jesus. She didn't have a stitch of clothes on. She was a harlot. Whatever you want to call her, this woman was it. The lowest of the lowest. And the law did say she should be stoned. That was the truth. Letter law. They brought her, threw her down at the feet of Jesus. Jesus wrote in the sand. I always, often wondered what he wrote. You know, I think he probably wrote, probably they're the girlfriends of the names of the people who threw her down. You did this here. You did that. He who without sin let him cast the first stone. Jesus forgave. That was love. He forgave. That was mercy. But, excuse me, that was mercy. 
That was not love. His act of forgiveness was mercy. Because what she really done, she deserved by the letter to be killed. But he had mercy on her. Guess what love was? When he said, go and don't do it again. That was, this, that was the rod of correction. If we don't correct, we don't love. And that's what he did. He first had mercy on their stupid, ignorant self. And then he said, I love you by saying, don't do this again. And there's a difference between having mercy and loving somebody. When people come in, we need to have mercy on them. But at the same time, we need to preach truth and not be afraid to say, this was wrong, this is what you've done. Now go and don't do it again. Make it right. But we fear that if we have mercy on people, we automatically think, well, we're giving them a license to go do whatever they want. But that's not what we do. Let's stand this evening. I, I want... I, I want I want to extend people the same mercy that God extended me. I grew up in the same, but there's things that I have done. I have, I'm embarrassed to say. My kids find out things about me that somebody, we go back home and they, my kids, they find out things and it's absolutely embarrassing the things that I've done. If it wasn't for God and some good people in my life, I would be in prison or I would be dead. Probably in prison. Because there's things that I have done that is worthy of that. Are there any cops here? Don't ask me what I've done. I'll plead the fifth. That's the Constitution, sir. I don't care if you are packing. But if, if, if I was caught, I'm telling you, and I, I, before I came here, before I came here, I was almost killed. I have been stabbed. I have been beat down. I have been kicked around by five, six, seven guys. I have been left for dead. But if it wasn't, I was a pastor's son. Praying mama. Praying grandma. But if I would let the cat out of the bag and tell you what, I'm telling you right, you wouldn't look at me the same way. But I want people to, I want to forgive people the same way that God forgave me. I know what I was. I know, hey, even though I'm a preacher, I know what creeps into my spirit at times, it rises up inside of me. That old man, here I am being honest. That old man inside of me, when somebody cuts me off, runs me off the road. Flashbacks start going back, bro. I'm not kidding you. And I already view what I'm going to already do. I already know it. I've got it planned out in my head. And all of a sudden, I've got to say, you know what? That's not who I am. I've been bought. I've been forgiven. God had grace on me. And if I could, I'm telling you, I'm just being open and transparent. Let's understand that there's still hope. For people, I don't care how how bad they've been or where they've been. Let's ask God to touch our hearts and touch our minds. Let's ask, let's ask God to soften 
the, the hardness of our hearts that we have, might have had towards people, towards people that's hurt us, towards people that's hurt our church, people that's hurt our pastor, our pastor's wife, the ministry in this church, whatever. I don't care where they're at. I don't care if they go to other churches. That God, would you extend a hand of mercy to these people because these people are still souls. I'm asking you to forgive them for they know not what they do and God can still change them. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Shake somebody's hand.